talked about continuing our series through Luke's gospel, picking up where John left off in Luke 12, and preaching on Jesus' second chapter, but I will do that to John. John, I decided that we would take a short break from the gospel of Luke and focus our attention on the Lord's the celebration of the Lord's And although some of you, most of you, wanted to dive into the theology of the table, the elements, the New Testament right set by Jesus himself. And we are going to do that somewhat. But I wanted to focus our attention on what the table communicates to us. As John said later in the week, we can never speak too often of God's forgiveness. We're following John's sermon last week on how to remember the future and living backwards, and hearing of our great responsibility to live what God has called us to live to, we can never hear too much about God's forgiveness. And we get to celebrate and hear the gospel preached, but when we come to the table, we get to see, taste, touch, <coughs> smell, God's forgiveness. <coughs> and I want us this morning to expand our understanding of the table. And this is not just a theological, let me have more knowledge of the table. But how does the table prepare? 
love God and to love one another? How does the table communicate God's forgiveness for us and our forgiveness to one another? Because the forgiveness that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 26 isn't just a vertical forgiveness. Yes, there are vertical elements of it. Yes, we come to dine with the Lord, us sitting at the table. But the table is not a dinner date. It's not just me and Jesus. It is Jesus with his people. The forgiveness at the supper is also horizontal. It goes from one of us to all of us who has faith in Christ. We do not come to the table to receive individual forgiveness, but we come to the table as a profession to the one who provides our forgiveness, to show us mercy, and to show us, and for us to receive all the benefits we have in Christ. On the night that our Savior was betrayed, the disciples communed with Christ, and the disciples also communed the supper stresses our becoming one with Christ. It stresses our union with Christ, but at the same time, it stresses our union together. We can never speak to us of God's forgiveness. We can never speak too often about the forgiveness that we owe to one another. Before we begin, let us pray. Father, bless our time this morning. Lord, may we hear the truths of your word. May everything else fall away. May we not remember. But Lord, may we remember what you have told us in the gospel that you love us. How you died for us. How you rose for us you are interceding for us now and preparing your return. Lord, I pray. Father, we lift up your world in prayer. Lord, please bless your church as it goes into the nations to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Of our only hope and truth that is found in Jesus, Lord, please protect your Call those who are under conviction to repent of their sins. May the church proclaim you boldly. Lord, we pray for our country. Lord, may we not, may we not just stick our head in the sands and just pray that it goes to hell in a handbasket. May we be a blessing to those around us. May your church stand for what is true and what is good and what is beautiful. Because those things are for you. We pray for the state of Tennessee for the east and the west. Lord, may the churches in this state proclaim Jesus and him crucified. And that he is the way. Pray for the state of 
our upcoming election. Bless our leaders. Bless our judgment that they choose. We pray for our schools. Lord, may each of our students at Fayette Academy, at Rossville, in the county school board, may all of them receive teaching and knowledge because you have given them brains to use. You have given them vocations that you are calling them to so that they can be a blessing to further come. Lord, we lift up the teachers today. We are so glad that you know them. Bless them. Give them strength. We lift up Jimmy. Lord, may your will be done. Give them strength. Lord, we believe that you can do it. Because you are alive and well. We lift up John. Give him strength. Give him wisdom. be nourished by the word, by your spirit, so that he can love Janet beyond what he can do by himself. We pray for those in this church that have lost family members, that are still struggling with the loss of loved ones. Lord, may they find comfort in your word. May they find comfort as a member of this church. May they find love in your word. We lift up our trip to RYM tomorrow. Lord, protect us both physically and spiritually as we are down there. I pray that for the 26 students that are going. Lord, may this be a time of renewal for them. May they practice how to be a Christian down there. So when they come home, they can work that muscle every single day and expand your kingdom as images. Lord, we pray against protection down our elders there. The evil one is attacking our families and our work. We pray for our officers in training. Bless them. Because we are all in this sick together. Lord, we lift up the singles in this church. Whether never been married, Lord, may this church be a mouth to say that they are valued, that they are imitated, that you love them. May they not feel lonely at this church. May they feel like they are part of our community. We pray for our families and for our children. Each year, I watch the HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers. If you aren't familiar with Band of Brothers, um, it is a 10-episode miniseries of the 101st Airborne during World War II. And I love watching it because, especially now, what the point was like, it just reminds me of the sacrifices our soldiers made. And with one of my friends back home, we always joke, we hope the English work extra hard on the board while we have the day off. 
But as the first episode comes to an end, it shows troops as they're preparing for the invasion of France. And at the end of the scene, Lewis, uh, Lieutenant Louis Nixon, the second battalion intelligence officer, is instructing the other lieutenants of their mission. The mission is Operation Overlord, commonly known as D Day, June 6, 1944. The Allied American troops target Normandy Beach, codenamed Utah and Omaha. Then, as the scene progresses, it fades from Lieutenant Nixon teaching his troops, teaching the other lieutenants, to the other lieutenants teaching their troops. The commanding officers instruct the men of their mission. They are told that they are not only to memorize their mission, but they are to memorize the mission of every other soldier. And it's funny. Because Jesus, our commanding officer, speaks in Matthew 26 and instructs his officers, his disciples, and tells them what their mission should be once Christ has left. He gathers his closest disciples and instructs them how they should remember him, how they are to covenant with him, how they are to proclaim him and his mission after he is gone. Because after Jesus was gone, he knew his troops would lead destruction. He knew that they needed the Lord's Supper. How does that sound? They needed the Lord's Supper. We need this supper. Because they, like us, need to be reminded of God's mission. Jesus' mission to reconcile us to God. How are we reconciled back to God? Through Christ's sacrifice as the Lamb of God, forgiven for our sins. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2 16. It's on your scripture sheets. The cross reconciles us to God. And within Ephesians 2, the cross reconciles us to one another. And it is hard for us to remember. It is hard for us to fully understand, even to believe in the length and the height and the depth of God's love for us in Christ. Because through his sacrifice, this is how we receive the forgiveness of sin. But it is hard for us to believe that. But Jesus, knowing that we are weak, Jesus, knowing that we are weak of sin, gives us his mission. He instructs us. He reminds us how much he loves us. And we find ourselves in the same situation as disciples, in an ongoing war. Because of our sin, we need 
the Lord's table. And at the table, we are reminded that Christ has purchased our life with blood. And at the table, we are reminded that Christ has reconciled us to one another. In this meal, at Christ's table, he gives us a sign. He gives us a seal of his love for us. Because our sin distracts us from our mission, not only does it distract us, it sabotages our mission. Our mission is to proclaim Christ to the world. Jesus knew the weakness of the disciples' faith in the garden, and he feeds them and nourishes them at his table. In December of 2006, on a cold night in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Jessica and I were on a double date one of my good friends. That night we went to dinner and then we walked around the square that was covered in Christmas lights. There was not one square inch that was not covered by lights. And as we walked around, I nervously fumbled my hand in my pocket. I didn't eat very much at dinner. I couldn't keep my concentration as we were walking around because in my pocket I had an engagement. It was the ring that I was about to present to Jessica when I was going to ask her to marry me. That night just flew by. And I turned to Jess, who looked very confused, and then I dropped to a knee and I asked her to marry me. I told her from the beginning that she was going to marry me for the money and find someone else. <laughs> but I presented her with this diamond ring and I promised to her my covenant love. A sign from me to her that I would love her, regardless of her health, regardless of her moods, regardless of her personal sin. I promised to love her. And that ring was a sign for her to always know I love her. And as you all know, she said yes, and we were married six months, six months later. And I gave her that ring, promising my love for her, to cherish her, to fight for her, even to die for her. That engagement ring was a physical sign that she could touch and see that I loved her. When she sees that ring, when she saw that ring, she would be reminded that I loved her. In our Old Testament reading, we read Exodus 12, where God instituted the Passover meal with Israel. The meal was to be celebrated by the people of Israel, God's people, and were supposed and it was supposed to be a reminder of them of God's love for them. They were themselves God's covenant people. They received God's covenant sign of his love for them. A meal that they God gave Israel the Passover meal continually, perpetually, constantly remind them that he has redeemed his people. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus, no one less, no one other, replace this Passover meal with the meal of the Lord's Supper. He did not need to give us a meal to remind us of our love for him, but he needed to give us a meal to remind us of 
his love for us because we forget it over and over. Because if you're like me, you think, I sin, God must not love me. But that is not why we have this table. We needed a reminder that God is for us, that he cherishes us, that he dies for us. And we were reminded each Lord's day through the preaching of the word, through the reading of the word, through actually participating in the liturgy. We go through this liturgy not to just do it, but because every aspect of the liturgy reminds us of the gospel, that Jesus loves us, and that we need Savior. And through Christ's death, his death upon the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, the mission of the cross, his mission is to forgive us for any and any emotion in our sin, reconciliation with an emotion God. And this is the focus of the cross. The focus of the cross is also the focus Without the forgiveness of sin, we can have no communion with God. That is what makes this meal so wonderful. Because of Jesus, we participate in a communion meal with the most holy God who created us. It is a covenant meal focusing on the body and blood of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of Sins. Did you hear that? I'll repeat it. It is a covenantal meal focusing on the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, which is poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe he was born the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead, and that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. If you believe in the God man, you are forgiven of sins. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. This is the gospel. Christ has forgiven you of your sins. And you did not deserve it. He did it because he loved you. That is the mission. And, the, and this meal reminds you. This meal is a sign that points to the cross. The last time I preached, I began with a story about billboards. And I asked you, do you have a billboard or a sign that means something to you? And I spoke of how the Welcome to Arkansas sign was very important to me and my family. Because when we saw the Welcome to Arkansas sign, we knew where we were heading. But as I described these billboards and signs, I told you that the sign isn't what we celebrate, but the sign, what the sign pointed to, is what got us excited. This meal is a sign for us. It's God's gift. It reminds us of Christ's love for us. And when we come to the table, when we take up the celebration, And forgiveness is the focus of justification. 
If you read our confession, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, this is what it says about justification. Though, those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by imputing righteousness, but by pardoning the sins. This is forgiveness. Jesus Christ is sacrificed on the cross. And that was his victory. Forgiveness of sins. And this is exactly what Jesus instructed his disciples in that night. To celebrate the sins. To celebrate the justification we have received in Christ. To celebrate that we are now able, through Christ, to commune with God. The meal reminds us that Christ has reconciled us to God. This meal also reminds us that he has reconciled us to one another. When John and I were discussing what I was to preach on, one of my options was to preach on Psalm 1. And the reason I was going to pick Psalm 1 is that I had just taken the students through a mini-series on Psalms. Um, and Psalm 1 is the introduction to the rest of the Psalter. So Psalm 1 prepares its reader how you're supposed to read the other 149 chapters of Psalms. And there's a couple reasons that I decided that I wanted to teach our students about the Psalter. Students, do any of you remember the primary function of the Psalter? Great. Well, I know all of you are just too shy to say it. But the Psalter's primary function is the hymn book of God's people before him. The Psalter, the Psalms, are God's inerrant and infallible hymn book for God's people to come and worship him. Now, it's not primarily a prayer book individual prayers. That's how I use it. That's how every devotion on Psalms prepares you to go to the Psalms. And that's not a bad way to read the Psalms. But it's not its primary focus. The primary focus of the Psalter is for corporate worship of God's people communion with God. He wants us to sing it. That was the first reason I wanted to teach on the Psalter. The second reason was I wanted to teach our youth that the Psalter invites God's people to the full array, to the full depths of human emotion in coming to God that has redeemed us. It's not just hymns of joy. We um, read Psalm 103 uh, in our call to worship. And our first hymn was based on Psalm 103. And it's a great hymn sung of God's joy. But one-third of the Psalter are psalms of lament. Some of the psalms are joyous, but some aren't. Some look at the heights of God's glory, but some psalms look at the depths of despair of God's people. Some seek to marvel at God's justice. But some are asking to receive. Some are seeking God's wisdom. Others are called persecution of God's people to receive 
seek some seek God's will, yet some remind us that oftentimes God's people are scared in the face of their troubles and ask, where are you, God? But the psalter orients God's people. The psalms assume that the people are singing them together, sober to sober, and that orients our worship. That when we come into God's presence, we don't have to shy away from the feeling that we feel. We don't have to have a smiley face on all the time when we are worshiping. We can come together as God's people and say, God, where are you? And yet, we come to God with awe and wonder and fear because God has told us in Christ that he the third reason I studied the Psalms was to instruct our youth on the communal orientation of the Psalter. Like I said earlier, the Psalter assumes that it's God's people worshiping together. It assumes communion. And what I taught our youth is that sometimes we come to corporate worship and we really don't want to sing. And we really don't want to pray. And we really don't want to hear God's word. And we really don't want to listen to John. And we really just want to get out of here as fast as possible, if we come at all. But the reason, one of the reasons that we come to church, even when we don't want to sing, is because there are others here that do. The people that are here do two things for us. They encourage us or even show us, when you don't feel like this, this is actually what you need in life. When you don't feel like this, Let's practice. Let's practice. And the second thing it does is it allows us to be around people who will sing and pray and read God's word on our behalf. Have you ever thought about that? That when you don't want to sing, or when you sing a song that you don't even like, have you ever thought, I'm going to sing this song for the benefit of somebody else? When you come to corporate worship and your heart is heavy or sad or even too anxious and you don't feel like your prayers or your words are being received by God, you can be assured that the person standing next to you Offering them up for you. You are never alone in corporate worship. When John comes and prays for the woman, he is not praying alone. When John doesn't have any more words to pray, we come to worship and we pray for him. We intercede the praise. We intercede in our worship as we sing. When we sing a song about the assurance of our assurance of salvation, but we are not struggling with what we believe about God's assurance of our salvation, we sing about our assurance of salvation for someone who is. Corporate worship is communal. It is never done alone. And the same function of the Psalter is applied to the worship of the Lord. We never 
never comes to you. It alone. It always assumes community. And it's a community built upon the forgiveness that we have all received in Jesus Christ alone. Nobody comes based on their own works. Nobody comes upon their good works. We all come because we all need Jesus. And yet I preach about it, and yet I know that, but week after week, I forget it. Week after week, my faith struggles. Does God love me? When we partake of this meal, it is God's sign to us. It's God's promise to us that he will love us no matter what we do. This communal corporate meal identifies us as God's people who have received forgiveness in Christ. And I said at the beginning, this table is not just vertical forgiveness. It's also a horizontal forgiveness. We are able to forgive because Christ has forgiven us. We understand the depths of our need. We understand the depths of our sin. And how much God loves us still. Then we are able to turn to our neighbors and offer them forgiveness. We are able to forgive because of Christ's sacrifice. And we are encouraged. We are actually instructed to forgive others because we have been forgiven. In the youth group, I have um, often asked. I'm often asked in one way or another, usually it's about 10 different ways, and they're all asking the same question. How can I know that I am saved? That might be a question that you, even as adults, ask. One of the leaders at RYM was very transparent when he confessed up that one of his lifelong struggles how can he know he's saved? How can he know that Jesus loves him? And what we're asking when we struggle with this assurance of salvation is how can we truly know that Jesus' death and resurrection are is ours? Because it is in fact the act of God's forgiveness, God's justifying us, God's uniting us with Christ, that is how we know. If this is you, this is something that you struggle with or question, hear this. You're in the Savior's seat. The love of God has been displayed for you when Christ died upon the cross for you. Jesus loves you and has reconciled you to God through his body and blood. But he also instructs us at the table, at this table, at Christ's table. We participate in and commune with with one another. If you believe in Jesus, this table is for you. And as soon as you see this sign, as soon as you see this billboard of this table, 
It tells you, I love you. As soon as you see it, you should hear God's words, I love you. You should hear the words of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven in my blood. As soon as you taste it, touch it, and smell it, you are assured Christ has died for you. What I often tell students, how I try to explain this to students, the best way I can explain it to students is, and to you, for that matter, a father can tell his children that he loves them over and over and over again. And his children can't believe that. My dad tells me he loves me. But when a child is really struggling with grieving, does my father really love me? The father is able to walk with him. He looks him in the eyes and says, I love you. As he embraces him with a big care of when we hear the word of the gospel preached, we hear God say, I love you. When we taste the Lord's table, when we see the Lord's table, we physically feel God say, I love you. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Taste the forgiveness. See the forgiveness. Smell the forgiveness. Believe again in Christ. And God did not stop there. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, If you do not forgive others, then the Father will also not forgive you. Now this is kind of weird. Like this. You just told me that God's forgiven me. Now you're telling me God might not forgive me. But if you believe in the gospel of Jesus, then you have no other option Because you understand the depths of God's forgiveness for your own sake. Forgiving also does not mean forgetting. Some of you have really been hurt. You've been scarred deeply. Maybe so deeply that nobody else, not even a spouse, not even a sibling, not even a friend, maybe you've been hurt so bad that nobody knows even who should. Or maybe you've actually hurt someone, scarred someone so bad that you're not willing to talk about it. And if this is you, if you're struggling to forgive someone, come talk to me, talk to John, talk to Francesca, because we want to share with you the love and the forgiveness that we have received in Christ. This table reminds us that God's love for us is God loves us and has forgiven us. We have received all the benefits of Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, may we taste and see and smell the forgiveness that we have received. 
As an elder, Christ Fred is one of the great duties I cherish is to help serve community without people. I truly feel God's love for you. Um, please pray with me. We'll pray in preparation for Father, we are one.